When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Could let Laura and I pick out a few outfits for you. That sounds fun. Oh, that would be fun. I would love to do that. Would you? Well, then. Yeah, variety yeah. show. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can we? But where? Where are you going to pick them out? Online? Well, that's don't you don't have to worry about it. You just have to, like, pay for it. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Well, I have a major update for the panel today. This has been three and a half years in the making. We've had a game going on this entire time. It happened to me. And Laura, congratulations. You won because I got COVID recently. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Laura, congratulations. We've had this game going on, if you will, a game. Thank you. Who would who would avoid COVID longest? Pam got it, what, Pam, a year ago at this point? A year ago. I just got it a couple of weeks ago. I'll get into that in a second. So, Laura, how do you feel being the winner of this game? I mean, I don't. I, I generally don't tend to win games most of the time. So this is this is huge for me. But I will say I'm not only the only holdout on this panel. I'm also the only holdout in my family. Um, oh. Both my parents and my brother have all had COVID at this point. I don't wow. know how I've managed to avoid it. I keep thinking back to early 2020 when we talked about that study that seemed to suggest that a certain herb that grows in the ground. (laughs) Uh, I forgot about that. Me too. Usage of said herb could help stave off infection Mm -hmm. by COVID-19. So maybe, maybe that's it. I hear many people are saying it. So many people are saying (laughs) you smoke the reefer, you're in the clear. Well, I'm happy for you that you won the game. And uh, I don't know you. what you win exactly. Good health, I guess. Respiratory strength. Bragging rights. COVID is spiking right now, which is, I'm sure, why you got it, Andrew. It feels like everyone is getting it again. I don't know in y'all's areas if it feels the same, but I yeah. do feel like every day somebody else I know has COVID. Yeah, there was some, well, let's get to, let let me address, let me tell my story. So I don't know where I got it. I it probably was back when I was home. Um, this didn't happen over the last week. It, it was a little further back than that. I had what felt like a very mild cold. And it was so mild that I didn't even think to test for COVID because I've had many colds over the last few years. And they've been worse than that. And when that has occurred, I have tested because I was like, okay, maybe this is it. But then like around day four or five, which basically is like the end of the isolation period that you're supposed to be in, 
I was like, you know what? Maybe I should actually test. And I tested. And oh my God, that thing registered positive so damn fast. Those two lines I texted you two were so thick and clear. There was no doubt about it. (laughs) I was carrying quite a load. (laughs) But thanks to, I guess, the vaccine, my symptoms were very mild. On Monday, the FDA approved another shot for COVID as we get to the winter months. There was going to be a meeting today, Tuesday, to discuss guidelines around it. The government will probably be using the phrase annual immunization instead of booster to combat combat fatigue around needing boosters. And I actually find this interesting because I'll be the first one to admit, I haven't loved this idea of an annual vaccination for COVID framed around booster, boost, boost, boost. Of course, now my opinion has changed the last couple of weeks. I've seen how it can help. I haven't been the anti-vaccine. I've already got that first booster. But I think this is a good idea, right? To call it an annual immunization instead of a booster. I think it lumps it in with the flu shot. That's an annual immunization. It only lasts for a year. Most people get their flu shots when, you know, we're kind of coming into fall. So I think that the the rebranding is kind of to to put those two kind of side by side. To be honest, I've been waiting for pharmaceutical companies to come out and for the FDA to approve like a hybrid flu and COVID vaccine, because already when you're getting your flu shot and your COVID shot, those vaccines sometimes account for multiple strains. The flu vaccine certainly does. I think this year it covers four different strains of the flu. So I think lumping it in with like your yearly flu shot is really smart. And that's how I've been mentally thinking about it anyway. Um, I've gotten COVID boosters every single time I've been eligible for them over the last couple of years. So maybe that's why I've gotten lucky so far. But, you know, getting the vaccine is also not foolproof, right? You can still get COVID. You can still get really sick from COVID. Um, So it's just really important to stay on top of everything. And as soon as I'm eligible for this new annual immunization, (laughs) I will go get it. So I wonder if Laura will get COVID. I hope not, of course. But I wonder. I can't help but wonder. Roll around in the dirt with us, Laura. Come on. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing, you know, uh, knock on wood, I have a long life ahead of me. And Mm -hmm. the idea of going through that life without ever getting COVID seems like a tall order. I think I will get it eventually, as will most of us. I mean, most of us have had it. Yeah. At least once at this point. So, uh, you know, it's. It's about prevention. Yeah. Insofar as it's possible, but I should also mention so Pat got it last year. I didn't get it from him because he isolated. But I told you guys I didn't realize for five days that I had COVID. So I gave it to him. <laughs> I marked him as my equal. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you do that? What was what was the method of transmission, Andrew? Oh, I told you we had reunion sex. So <laughs> and and you know, there's sex and then there's reunion sex, which is extended sex and sometimes there's a lot more going on so i was really passing the COVID in all places do you know what i mean 
Yep, you passed that high viral load <laughs> on the fat. I passed those two thick red lines on the fat. <laughs> okay. But he's fine. He, di- he didn't really even have any symptoms, because maybe because he already had it last year. Since we're talking about COVID, we can just very briefly mention this. It came up during our planning meeting for this week's episode um, that a-, a study did come out a few months ago demonstrating that pro-Trump counties suffered and continue to suffer higher death rates because of COVID. And that is directly linked to the fact that in heavily Biden-leaning counties, the vaccination rate on average is 80% amongst voting adults. Whereas in majorly Trump-leaning counties, that percentage is 60%. So it's a pretty vast difference. And it did result in higher death rates for Trump voters over the last couple of years. And as we learn more and more about the long-term effects of COVID, this may come into play for years in the future. But something that I thought was funny to bring up is these Trump voters are dying at higher rates than Biden voters from COVID. We've got the 2024 election coming up. And according to the Brookings Institution, voters under 45 will comprise as much as half of the 2024 voting electorate. That's if we show up. We have to show up. But if we do, we can represent half of the votes in this country, which is going to be super important if we're looking at Biden v. Trump again. Yeah. We don't want to get complacent about this. Mm -mm. You're all dead and Gen Z is legal to vote. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a good episode title. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take it. (laughs) And so we'll move on to some other topics today. And actually, Laura, this is you. Yeah. This is me. So I wanted to talk about the price of love, y'all. And I know that that sounds like a stoner topic, but hear me out. There are actually companies out there who are trying to quantify this. So a couple of them, LendingTree and Credit Karma, have conducted surveys of millennials and Gen Zs to look at reasons why our age groups may be incurring debt in the pursuit of love. In general, people in the younger generations have a higher tendency of going into financial debt when they're on the dating scene, when they're in the early stages of a relationship. Now, I want to give an obligatory acknowledgement here. What you're seeing out of Lending Tree and Credit Karma that we're going to be talking about today our surveys. Sometimes websites like this will give a survey and then call it a study. They're not interchangeable. These are not studies. This is literally, we put a survey out to X number of consumers on this website. (laughs) And these are the results we got. I believe you only need a thousand people to pull for you to be able to like in journalism to report on that. Mm -hmm. So 
It's it, the number is very low. Yeah. And you can only make so many assumptions and generalizations based on small sample sizes. But regardless, this is a really interesting conversation. And I think we will find some things we can relate to here as millennials who have been on the dating scene. Um, so LendingTree found that 77% of daters who took their survey say that dating would be easier if they had more money, which makes sense. I think a lot of things would be easier if we had more money. Um, 19% of their respondents said that they're going on fewer dates due to inflation, 32% of respondents said they'd still go on a date even if they couldn't afford it. And this is where <laughs> millennials get called out. So of all the generations, uh, more millennials have gone into, quote, dating debt Uh-oh. than any other. Uh, 22% of millennials who oh. took this survey have gone into debt for a date. Oh, well, I wonder if that also means like, well, for it, you said for a date, but like maybe they're dating so much they're going into debt. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I took one date to the opposite side of the world and now I'm in debt because I spent 10 grand. You know what I bet adds to this, too, is the fact that so many of these dating apps that used to be free now have premium yep. subscription services. So that's like an added fee that you would have to factor into your dating budget yeah that's, that's such just a good to, point. to get you know like a match that you that you might not get if you were just using the free version and to see who who likes you without having to oh, swipe yeah, through that's people true. that's one of the premium features on mm-hmm. bumble and tinder and there's other f- premium features like <sighs> looking in certain cities depending on the app um yeah. i think super also likes. like um you can set height, which is important for a friend of mine who's very tall. Uh, but you can't set height. Like they'll they'll like they'll let you set a height if you don't pay. I think I believe this is unhinged, but like they'll still feed you people that are not in your set height range. So. Oh, it, oh, so it'll only give you people by. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know any of those did that. Yeah. Credit Karma also found that 29% of its respondents confessed to going into debt for a date because they either accidentally overspent or they wanted to impress their dates. Um, impress their dates could mean a few different things. One of the <laughs> options for that was to get laid. So a percentage of these people overspent God. because they thought they were going to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> so you treat them to a good dinner, maybe, and they're like, right. oh, well, they're definitely going to put out now, right? I know, but that- I'm not surprised, <laughs> but it does sound funny to hear it, you know, I know, in black and white. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it, it feels like that's a pretty old-fashioned perception mm-hmm. to have, but apparently it's still alive and well with some members of our generation. Now we can get into some numbers of how far folks have gone into debt. So of the respondents who said that they had gone into debt for a date, uh, 67% had gone at least $100 into debt for dating in the prior year. Uh, Nearly half of that group went at least $250 into dating debt in the prior year. And of the total group, um, that went into some kind of debt, 21% accrued at least 
$500 in dating debt for the same time period. It makes sense. I'm actually a little surprised the numbers aren't higher. 67% mm-hmm. had, go- had gone at least $100 into debt, but that's what? Two dates? Two date nights out? That's two two people yeah. you're you're dating for the first time? Cuz we'll get into this in a moment, but I like I think dinner, you're probably going to spend about 30 to $50 per person, I would think, unless you're going for fast yeah. food. Especially right now, it's expensive to eat out. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also if you're if you're on a date, most likely you're going to do dinner and a drink. Yeah. Or dessert. So that's easily 50. Yeah. If you're in a major city, I wanted to get some self-reported data from our patrons. So we added a post over at patreon.com slash millennial place where you can go to enjoy all of our bonus content, but also take part in planning uh, content for episodes like this one. And the question I asked was, how much do you how much do you usually spend on a first date? I'll be honest, I was surprised by the results. So we have under $50, 67% of people who responded to this said under $50. Now, I will say a lot of people in the comments talked about how their ideal first date situation is like a coffee shop. So you go and you get a coffee, maybe a pastry. That makes complete sense that you would spend under fifty dollars mm-hmm. on, a, like, a coffee date. For That's a first what Pam date. and I did a few months ago. Oh, and then we only spent what? I think you spent a little more than that, though. You think it was more than fifty? <laughs> I thought it was like thirty or forty. Oh no? no, yeah. Oh, I no, I I was just thinking like, oh, a cup of coffee, like you know, ten bucks. I think we, yeah, yeah, fifty is probably, but fifty is like a more expensive coffee date. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, definitely. Let it be known that Andrew's not a cheap date. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, I think I said at the time it was also the first like millennial in person meetup in like eight thousand years. So yeah. <laughs> we we could uh, we earned uh, spending more than even uh, fifty dollars, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> now I will say the category I personally fall into um, the fifty to one hundred dollar category was at thirty three percent. So it's the the second largest pool of people in terms of, you know, what they would spend on a first date. When I think about going out to dinner, getting an entree, getting a drink, especially because I'm I'm of the mindset that we're going Dutch on dates. That's personally what makes me comfortable. Um, so I would expect to spend maybe maybe closer to like 60, 60 or 70 for dinner and drinks yeah. to go out for myself. Yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. So I've been friend dating, as has been well documented on this show <laughs> at this point. And I'm, I've been feeling this problem a lot. And we have been splitting things most of the time. But I'm just looking at my credit card statement right now. Pat and I went out with two other guys last weekend. Uh, 48 bucks there. I met somebody else another time. 25 bucks. Oh, plus a separate charge for 11 bucks because I bought him a beer or two. Uh, here's, <laughs> I've been a social butterfly lately, and my credit card is reflecting it. Uh, Italian place, $45 with somebody else. <laughs> tea, went to a tea lounge, $14 with somebody else. And actually, I have had this conversation with the first um, people that we met out here. Um, the one guy, the retired guy, he's very cognizant of 
how much this is costing him because he's retired. And so he doesn't have a lot of money to blow on friend dates that might not even work out. So it's kind of risky to be spending this money. And this guy's bougie, so he likes to go to the the nicer places. He he likes doing takeout with people. So not the first date, but second or after doing takeout. Because takeout is typically going to be cheaper than a sit-down restaurant. Right. So you're still paying money, but at least with takeout, like it's something to do. There's a there's a clear, you know, like activity and it could be fun. Yeah. I think so too. When we started getting into the pricier ranges of People saying that they would spend a hundred to a hundred and fifty dollars on a first date. Uh, people saying they they might spend a hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars for a first date. These are much smaller uh, slices of the respondents to our Patreon polls, so we won't linger on that too much. But Andrew, I think you might have alluded to some of this through your friend date um, audit of your credit card uh, (laughs) statement. But Pam, I'm wondering how much do you historically or how much have you historically spent when you go on a first date? I think that's fluctuated a lot, but I think a good average would probably be the 50 to $100 range. Because as you um, pointed to when we were talking about this initially as a potential topic for this episode, it's not always just whatever you're going to do. Like if you're factoring in, say, like parking, for example, like that would be added to like your date tab, right? Or if you want to go get something nice to wear, like that you would have to factor into your dating budget or like getting your nails done, getting anything that's going to make you feel like you're ready to go out. And I, I think I did more of that in college and maybe like in my early 20s. And now that I'm older, I I try and like, I don't know, I, I try and like gauge it a little bit better because it can add up really fast. Yeah, and also like there's nothing wrong to I feel like sometimes if especially for like a first date, choosing like a, an option that is not 5200, like if you just go to a nice cocktail bar, you could like cap it at 30 bucks. Easy. Yeah. Find two a good drinks. happy hour. You'll be there for like two hours. And if it goes well, you can go do something else, right? You can go out yes. to get a bite to eat or you can go get ice cream or you can go home. Right. If it's really bad, then you could just go because you only promised to go for a drink. Yeah. Let's get or a drink. If it's going really well, you can also go home. That's true. And mark them as your equal. Yep. <laughs> But then you got to factor in how are you getting home, right? Presumably, if you're going mm-hmm. out drinking, you Ubered there, you took you took mass transit, you spent money somehow to get transported, right? So again, that factors into that budget. I think when we were also <laughs> planning for this episode, Pam, you and I were talking about as women preparing for first dates especially when we were younger and maybe Mm -hmm. we we needed more of a confidence boost around going out and buying ourselves something nice or making sure we had a fresh haircut or whatever it was you needed to get done that is that's money you're already like halfway into your budget (laughs) 
by the time you go. It's always like the most expensive thing. Yeah. It's like the only thing that you like on your body in that moment. Yeah. Of course. And this is sort of something I've been thinking about too, because coming out of the pandemic turned into you know, I wasn't exactly buying new clothes during the pandemic as a lot of people weren't because we weren't going out. And now here I am, a social butterfly, and I'm going out and about. I'm hitting the town. I want to look good in more than my Target shirts. So I've been trying to, you know, that's been a factor for me as well. But I hate clothes shopping. So same. Bad news Join the me. club. <laughs> yeah, that's why I do Stitch Fix when uh, I need new clothes. Uh I was uh I was actually thinking maybe I should rejoin Stitch Fix because I don't want to think about it and they do all the thinking for you. But we know some of our listeners aren't a fan of uh Stitch Fix for various reasons. Um I'd say I've had mixed experiences with them. Yeah, same. I've definitely recently had to take a break from it because whatever stylist I was getting was just not understanding my vibe. And I was getting boxes of stuff that I immediately sent back because none of it was right. But I've also had really good experiences with Stitch Fix. I was like, you know what? I've got plenty of winter clothes. I'm going to take a break for the fall and winter, and I might come back in the spring. Well, and speaking of pricey, I mean, that stuff really adds up, too. Yes, Uh, You can tell them your budget, and they'll try to work around that or, like, give, like, rough guidelines. But still, sometimes I'm like, well, I do want to keep this stuff, but I don't want to spend $300. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of makes you feel like... I. I should just like figure out how to pick my own clothes out, right? Yes. Cause it, it like <laughs> I feel like sometimes even like the cheapest option from Stitch Fix is 40 bucks. And that's probably the same for like any sort of clothes subscription service. I haven't done it in like three years, so I, I shudder to think how much these boxes are now. Could let Laura and I pick out a few outfits for you. That sounds fun. Oh, that would be fun. I would love to do that. Would you well then? Yeah, variety yeah. show. Yeah. Oh my gosh, can we? But where? Where are you going to pick them out? Online? Well, that's don't you don't have to worry about it. You just have to like pay for it. <laughs> you give us a budget. Okay. All right. <laughs> sure. An outfit budget and your sizes. Pam fix. That's the other thing that stresses me out. It's like when you do this stuff online, you just don't know how it's going to fit you. But we can think on that. See, I like doing it online because I can try it on in the comfort of my home. And, you know, not because you know how shitty it can feel when you go to the store and you're trying stuff on and nothing's fitting right. And you're like in a fitting room with a pile of clothes that you're not going to buy. Yeah. At least with this, I can do that in the privacy of my home. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's fair. And the changing rooms can get hot, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. I'm like breaking a sweat trying different clothes. Mm -hmm. People want to get in. Well, back to the topic at hand, though, I wanted drill in a little bit more on spending habits um, around dating. And I wanted to ask y'all, do we see our spending habits on first dates as an important demonstration to the person we're dating? So is it not only a budget question, but is it also what am I trying to portray to the person that I'm on the date with by having this range in mind for what I'll spend on a date. I think what's most important to me is a good vibe in the bar or restaurant and good quality food. Mm -hmm. We want to leave satisfied. I don't care if it's fancy. I just want to know it's been well-reviewed and people enjoy their time there. And it's easy to have a conversation there. It's not quiet. It's not dead in there. 
So when there are moments of silence, it doesn't feel awkward. Like you, you just, you just want to have a good time. And so I don't really, I, I don't care if it's not, you know, a cool Italian place. It can just be a pub so long as they serve good food. Mm-hmm. I just want us to be happy. And that normally doesn't have to cost too much. Same thing with a coffee shop too. Like coffee shops can have great vibes. There's people around you. So the moments of silence won't feel awkward. There's some music playing. The coffee gets you thinking a little more, a little more motivated. That's a very wholesome answer. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) I love that. I think it like overall, it just shows that you're invested in not wasting that person's time. That's probably like the big thing, right? And also, like, you probably don't want to look cheap. So you're going to pick, if you're a reasonable person, you're going to pick something that's, like, you know, in the middle. Because I, I also think that, like, on the other hand, I, I, it's very generous that some people are willing to spend, you know, $100, $200 on a first date. Personally, that would make me feel uncomfortable if somebody wanted to spend $200 yeah. on a first date, and you know? I would kind of if it was a third date, it would be, like... Okay. Yeah, or an anniversary, okay that, special but... occasion, birthday. I yeah. I would assume that the people who are saying 150 to 200 or even 100 to 150, they have a little more money, so they're comfortable doing that. Right. Right? Cuz and 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 yeah, when you are think... making more money, you're probably more inclined to purchase those great experiences, to treat yourself and treat this person you might really care about or think you might care about. Yeah. I think that like for for me and it's like more of like that like what are you expecting like what are you trying to get out of this date you know because like love i might not want to go home with you so yeah yeah well, that's or a whole other be an asshole about it if i let you pay for the bill you that's know? a whole other can of worms though i mean it's like yeah the whole you know but i think like for women that's something that we have to think about unfortunately yeah because men are not great sometimes Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah it is so interesting kind of comparing and contrasting experiences where i've had men on dates insist on paying even though i was very much like no it's fine we can go dutch even though i liked them in some cases i feel like it it's like a signal to people if you're saying let's go Dutch, it's a signal that maybe you don't want to go on another date. And that's actually not true for me. On my first date with Mark, we definitely went Dutch. And throughout our whole dating history, I mean, even now, we split almost everything. It doesn't feel reasonable to me at this stage in history with all of the economic uh, difficulties that face our generation. To me, it doesn't really make sense that one person should always have to pay for everything. What do y'all think about that, by the way? What's the rule for who pays on a first date? Whoever offers first, I guess. And then if you insist, I mean, that's my strategy every time, right? I, w- with all these friend date things, it's always been 50-50. Nobody's ever been like, mm-hmm. I'll pay. For- I-, I have bought a round of drinks or two just because that's a lot less money. You just got to go for that check quick. I mean, that's 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 how it goes. You both spring for the check quickly if if you really want to split it that badly. Yeah, I think so, like again, like as long as you like grab your purse or your wallet when the bill comes, and at least you're showing like that you're okay with splitting it. Which you know today and age is so 
um, normalized. It's so much more normalized than I, I feel like it was even like 10 years ago. Um, I guess like general rule of thumb, like whoever did the asking should probably offer, but like the other person should offer to split. Mm -hmm. I agree. And then you could just go from there. Well, now I know that if I ever invite either of y'all to dinner, um, the bill's on me, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm bringing you two both to dinner just so you can dress me up and shop for me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That'll be the date. Such a fun friend date. We'll dress you up and take you out. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. sure. (laughs) (laughs) We were just touching on shopping, so uh, we will take a quick break, get together a shopping plan for me, and then talk more shopping in a moment. Well, I'm so glad, Andrew, that you said that you were having trouble figuring out what stores to go shopping for for your new look for all of your fun dates because, (laughs) yeah, you know, you're not the only person out there that's having difficulty shopping in store right now. There was this great article that came out over on Vox a couple of weeks ago that was talking about how shopping overall has become more of a hassle than it's worth for the majority of Americans. And... A lot of people that are frustrated with this kind of cite similar things. So it usually comes down to lack of inventory or empty shelves, understaffing, or a low number of cashiers. And also, this is the one that I thought was really interesting and I totally commiserate with, was that there's oftentimes merchandise that's locked up as a means of, you know, theft prevention. So whether that is, you know, makeup or even like baby formula for some people. My target locks up the crest white strips. For example, you just never know what's going to be locked up. But that in and of itself is becoming an issue for people as well. So part of this can be chalked up to the pandemic and lockdown. A lot of us opted to rely on, you know, e-commerce, shopping online rather than going into physical stores. And initially when I started reading this article, I thought that that was going to be the crux of the situation. But it turns out that um, shopping online isn't really what's killing the vibe when it comes to shopping in store, because there are a lot of studies that have come out in the last year or so that show that e-commerce hasn't remained steady. So it's not as high as it was when we were all kind of hanging at home as a result of COVID. Uh, There's a study from last year that found that 54, 54% of customers prefer to shop at brick and mortar stores. So they want to go into a store and have that experience. And then according to the Census Bureau, e-commerce only made up about 15% of total retail sales in the first quarter of 2023. Wow. Yeah. So one thing that is important to note about that in particular that is that the Census Bureau also found that overall, retail foot traffic was down by about 5% year over year. But that kind of falls in line with the fact that even before, um, you know, the economic stuff that we're dealing with this year and before the pandemic, shopping in person was already kind of steadily declining. So that seems to be on par with that. I wanted to know if we fall in line with the 54% of consumers who prefer to shop in store, or have we found ourselves more heavily relying on online shopping? lately i guess it really just depends on what it is that i'm looking for right like clothing again i want to be able to see it you also want to be able to touch it and know that the material is going to be comfortable for you it's a sign of whether or not the clothes are high quality or not 
Um, I, I, we were just talking about Stitch Fix. I like it. I like that somebody's picking stuff for you, but I don't exactly love the hassle of having to return some of that stuff. Um, and the price is there as well. Um, but on the other hand, like I have a new microphone I'm using today. I bought this from Amazon yesterday and I had heard good things about this particular microphone. But you go on Amazon, you get all the reviews you could possibly want too. And that's something that is still missing from the in-store experience that they really need. Like I love in bookstores, they'll have like one of the employees write a little review of a book on a shelf. And I really appreciate that type of thing. Um, I've actually noticed Best Buy, they have started displaying reviews next to the price, like a a star average, which is really great. That's cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um. But then you find yourself missing that type of thing in like Target or Costco or any of these other types of like department stores or or food stores because because you just get so used to all the reviews online that you become really dependent on them. Do you do a little quick Google search in the aisles? Because I've been known to do that. Except Target is awful with reception. So Yeah, I, I have done that as well. And I've done it in Best Buy. And that's probably why Best Buy does it because they're paranoid that you're gonna go and look for reviews, and you're going to see an Amazon link, and then you're going to be like, oh, look at this. It's actually cheaper on Amazon by $50. Well, or also you don't get tempted to hold them to their price matching guarantee. (laughs) Yeah. I am definitely an online shopper, but to be honest with you, I've been committed to online shopping since way before COVID. It's just my preferred way to shop. I don't really like shopping in general. The only time that I like going to a store is if I'm going to get something very specific that I can only get in a certain kind of place. And I know that they have it. If I need something and it's not guaranteed that the store has it. I'm not going to waste the trip to go there only to find out it's out of stock because to Pam's point, so much stuff is out of stock right now. I'll just order it online and I might have to wait a couple of extra days, but that's okay with me. Have you guys gotten a little addicted to like the in-store availability through like Target and whatnot? I was just going to bring that up. So Target actually does pretty good with the in-store availability. If the number is two or lower, even if it's three, I'll second guess going because you don't know if you'll find those three where they're supposed to be. If there's Mm -hmm. one, don't even bother because it will not be where it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. like nine times out of 10. But I was just going to say with regards to that, that I feel like a lot of stores are making it harder for you to check if there's in-store availability or not. And I don't know if that's a result of just trying to get more people in store so that they end up spending more money or what. But I I found that rather odd. I think that, what was it? It was like a bigger store that I was looking. It might have been like Macy's that I was looking for like one specific thing. And it was almost impossible to find out if they had it in store or not. And I didn't want to call because, you know, like millennials, we don't like to make phone calls. (laughs) And then they (laughs) have to go look for you sometimes, which is just putting people through hell. (laughs) Yeah. The infamous. Do you guys think you have this in the back? Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't bother. I remember 
Anytime somebody asked me that when I worked at Target, my eye would just immediately start twitching because it's <laughs> you just like, don't let me check. And it's like, that's five minutes for me to sit back there. Yeah, I'm just going to go back there and like <laughs> sit on my phone for five minutes. But sure, I guess yeah. I'll go look for you. When I, I also I, I lie when they say like, let's say I'm in Target or Trader Joe's. And uh, I can't find something I'm looking for. And then when I get to the register, they go, did you find everything okay? And I, e- even if I couldn't find something, I still say yes, because I don't want to inconvenience them and burden them with my complaints. Same. Well, I also feel like by the point that you have gone to check out, you have accepted that you were leaving the store without <laughs> yeah. that thing. Like you have already <laughs> mentally processed it and you do not want to go through all the hoops you're going to have to jump through to be like, oh, well, it was this thing. I couldn't find it. And I checked here. And then you have to wait. And then you got the, one foot out the door. It. You're at the register. You're ready to go. Yeah. It's like, I don't want it anymore. Yeah. And I already <laughs> ordered it on Amazon at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to kind of go back to a couple of these reasons why people said that shopping in stores is just not fun anymore. So to refresh our memories, it was as a result of lack of in- inventory, um, low number low number of staff on the floor at the cash register, and also um, theft prevention in terms of things getting locked up. So with that in mind, the three of us live in different parts of the country. So I wanted to know if we've noticed a shift in the shopping experience where we lived, where we live as a result of these things, and if they're a deterrence for us as consumers. I have noticed going into Best Buy again in recent years. I, I'm a nerd. I like going through Best Buy. They have great uh, open box deals. Like that's a very good reason to oh, still I go into Best an Buy. open box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these are like the, I wouldn't say deeply discounted, but noticeably d- discounted when people return things. You can find those online too, by the way, through Best Buy site. Um, but when I go into Best Buy these days, a lot of shelves are empty and it just bums me out. It's just giving we're closing permanently in three weeks at all times. It doesn't It doesn't seem like a good shopping experience anymore. Yeah. It is giving Circuit City, you know? <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. Yep. That's a name I haven't heard in years. Yeah, for anyone who's <laughs> too young to remember that. Um, in Radio Shack. Oh, Radio Shack. They always had the swanky lighting. Oh, man. At Circuit City. It was all, like, dark in there. Mm-hmm. And, and there was always all... one of those fluorescent lights flickering somewhere <laughs> off in the corner, yeah. inevitably. <laughs> you know what I went into recently? Well, not recently. Like, you know how we do a lot of mailings for, like, Millennial and MuggleCast with the various mm-hmm. Patreon gifts? I went into an Office Depot a few months ago. That was fucking depressing. There was nobody in there but the employees. There's, you know, you could buy office furniture and paper. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, who goes to a store to buy paper anymore? Any office supplies? You buy this all online. Yeah. I was shocked it was still operating. Yeah. I The last time I went to a place like that, it was Staples. And it was to get my... uh covid vaccine card laminated and <laughs> nerd <laughs> i remember hey listen that thing has stood the te- the sands of time listen <laughs> but like i um i remember at the time thinking this is really sad because the way this is in here right now is how it's been in places like this for years it's not even just covid that did this <laughs> To your point, Andrew, people don't go to office supply stores for that kind of merchandise anymore. 
You just call Dunder Mifflin and they've got your back. (laughs) (laughs) So um, looking at the larger picture here, have we noticed a bigger shift in shopping districts post COVID? So like empty storefronts, earlier close times and, does that make us less likely to go? I know I personally love to do all my shopping late at night because no one's in the aisles and you can just kind of like browse without being bothered or without other people invading your space. Pam does movies in the morning and shopping at night. What are you doing in the afternoons, yeah. Pam? Is that coffee hour? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I finally figured out your whole day. But like Target at 9 p.m.? That's the time wow. to go. I'm in bed by 9 p.m. <laughs> you um, should be a target. <laughs> I can't really answer this question definitively just because I moved early on in the pandemic. So I didn't really live in Vegas prior to uh, I didn't really see Vegas prior to uh, the pandemic. I will say one of the things I know has changed for sure here, and this is ultimately unrelated, but uh, the buffets here did not survive the pandemic for the most part. That said, there are a lot of shopping centers around here and they seem to be okay. They seem to have survived. I feel like here, all of the outdoor shopping centers have continued to do okay. When I think about shopping locations where that tend to be pretty populated, especially, you know, nights and weekends. It's any of the outdoor mall setups, which I think is a lot more common now. I don't think anyone's building a traditional indoor mall very much anymore. Um, So those places, I think, tend to do well and also those like live work play communities have y'all seen those where it's like they've got these like luxury apartment complexes but in the same like area there's like a shopping mall but then there's also restaurants and it's all walkable around like from the apartments to all the entertainment and I feel like those places always seem to be fairly busy but they have like a live-in community to keep it busy (laughs) so (laughs) and those people I think are doing pretty well for themselves so they can probably afford to go out and eat every night Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I'm so glad you brought up malls because that was kind of the last thing I wanted to touch on to bring this conversation home I feel like every time I step foot in a mall nowadays, it's just so sad. At least the mall, like the closed yeah. traditional mall yeah. that we grew yeah. up with. The one that's closest to me, it was incredible in its heyday. You know, two stories, bunch of stores. Now most of the storefronts are closed. Do you do you all like experience the same thing? I don't know. When, yeah. the, when was the last time you guys were at a mall? <laughs> well, there's like a couple outdoor malls here, but they're kind mm-hmm. of, I don't know, they they did well. It's just, I know what types of malls you're talking about, of course. And I've definitely seen that as well, where like, you just go in there, it's very depressing. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, it. they're still cool to walk through in a way, because it's like a relic of the past, like the yeah. 80s style fountains and tacky food courts. Um, And there's like a lot of, if you go on YouTube, there's a lot of cool like, browsing an abandoned mall video tours that one episode of the last of us where it's all in the mall like oh yeah kind of what it feels like (laughs) or even like strangers stranger things they've been in the mall quite a bit and Mm -hmm. and that brings back a lot of memories yeah yeah so i used to work in a mall 
back in the day when I, I worked in an Apple store. And uh, that mall is dead now. That Apple store left several years ago. And I think the Apple store was like the one thing keeping that mall alive. Because when the Apple store left, a lot of other businesses did too. Because I think Apple was bringing in the most foot traffic to the mall. And the other shops and like the food court were all benefiting from Apple's foot traffic. But once they left, that mall died um, a very slow and painful death. There have actually Um, been reports on that over the years, like the impact mm -hmm. that Apple retail stores have had on malls. And you're right, because they do bring in not just a lot of traffic, but a lot of people with money because they can afford Apple products. So they're willing to spend elsewhere in the mall, too. Well, to to that point, the reason I go to the one traditional mall near me is because there's an Apple store in there. So if I need to get something fixed, I'm going there. Mm -hmm. And and to that point, you know, like we already touched on the mall was a huge thing when we were growing up. Oh, yeah. So what did you guys used to like to do when you hung out at the mall? I didn't have enough friends to hang out at the mall. (laughs) Uh, Did you just go by yourself? Well, like I went with my mom. Okay. (laughs) So she could buy me new jeans. And then I would stare at the hot models out front of Hollister. And that was it. (laughs) Getting Annie Ann's pretzel. That sounds like a great trip to the mall. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Honestly, me and my friends used to go and just kind of walk around. I think that's what a lot of teenagers did. We didn't really have any money to speak of, right? So we might go and like get something to eat in the food court. But then most of the time it was just window shopping. For me, that was usually Hot Topic where I was doing that. Um, But we would take turns to go to everybody's favorite stores and liberally douse ourselves in any samples that they had available yeah, but bath and body works. we definitely weren't <laughs> we were not mm. buying anything that's for sure yeah i think i used to we used to either go to like split one orange julius which by the way does not taste as good as an adult <laughs> i tried one the other day and i was like this is not as good as i remember it it was so sad it's too bad because i have such nostalgia for that flavor i know it's just like it's too sweet for my adult palate that's the issue yeah or um, (sighs) lollipops that sees candy used to be 50 cents they're not 50 cents anymore i think they actually used to be a quarter and you know you always had a quarter can't even get a lollipop anymore no (laughs) thanks obama (laughs) actually uh little sidebar speaking of all the shopping and i mentioned trader joe's so I've seen these memes in recent weeks about like Trader Joe's employees flirting with you. And I'm like, well, they always ask me about or they always talk to me about my choices, but they never flirt with me. But then this past Sunday, I was at the register and this man who I'm willing to bet was gay gave me a lollipop for the road. I was like, whoa. Wow. Hello, sir. I felt like I was finally flirted on by a Trader Joe's employee. So I was very thrilled about that. It's a big moment. You got COVID. <laughs> you, got, you got hit on at Trader Joe's. He, he must have known I was suffering lately. So he just wanted to give me a lollipop. <laughs> That's really cute, though. Yeah. yeah. A lollipop for the road. That There has to be some like 
double entendre there but oh yeah well uh, god and the guy behind him kept looking at me like they were both into me i think maybe that's their system for hitting on people at trader joe's oh, like yeah. giving a lollipop and hoping <laughs> i suck their lollipop later that night or something i don't know how that would i should have checked my bag for a phone number or something maybe he put it in there all right well we're gonna get a little meta but first we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back So I wanted to talk about this article in the Washington Post about how people use podcasts for companionship. And this is something we've actually heard about from our listeners over the years. Listeners form a parasocial relationship with the hosts and they can the host can and the show can help you get through difficult times or life changes. Like we've heard from listeners over the years of about how it was great to have us while they were on a road trip, maybe, or when they did a big move, so they moved to a new area with no friends, so it was nice to still have us with them. And I'm sure all kinds of podcasts here, similar things. Podcasts just offer much-needed comfort and familiarity in times of change and anxiety and, and stress. But the article also goes into people listening to podcasts while working, in order to help you focus, like music, TV, etc. would. Um, and that said, it's all about threading a stimulation needle. And I actually really didn't know this before. You need just enough... Ex- Some people need just enough extra stimulation to help you focus. So um, I'm going to read a quote from this Washington Post article, and we're going to get back to combating loneliness in a moment. Um, Quote, some people need a bit of extra stimulation, said Sahar Youssef, a neuroscientist at University of California, Berkeley, who specializes in productivity, and everyone has to figure out what works for them. To pay attention and do a good job, our brains have to thread a needle. Too little arousal and our minds wander from the task. Too much arousal and we'll spiral into overwhelm. Think about drinking one cup of coffee before a meeting versus four cups, end quote. But then Washington Post has this chart, and Laura, you're getting a kick out of this, right? The relationship between arousal and focus. So as you get more stimulation, your level of focus can rise. But if you get overstimulated, that's when you start to fall off. And so there's an ideal amount of stimulation. And I like how the Washington Post says in this graph, when you hit that ideal amount, you think you're you think to yourself, I am an unstoppable force. And that's me from like <laughs> seven to ten AM weekdays. I'm like, yeah, baby, the coffee's hitting just right. I got the music going. It's a new day. But then you get too much stimulation and it goes, Help, I'm spiraling into distraction. Um, do you two feel like you've been able to strike a nice balance, maybe through podcast listening or anything else music i think so um and this really resonates with me because i know exactly that feeling of this is either not interesting enough or it's too interesting and i have definitely put something on while I'm working and realize that it doesn't fit the bill. It doesn't hit that sweet spot of being like interesting enough to keep my focus, but not so interesting that I get lost in it and lose focus on my work. Um, I will turn stuff off if it's too interesting or not interesting enough. And I usually know within the first few minutes of hitting play, 
on something, whether it's a podcast, YouTube video, a live stream, whatever, um, it's pretty apparent if it strikes that perfect note or not. Yeah. How about mm-hmm. you, Pam? I'm I'm with Laura. It can't be anything um, new if it's mostly talking. So if I need noise, and, and I kind of go back and forth. Sometimes I am fine with just like perfect silence, save for like the clacking of my keyboard, right? But then sometimes <laughs> the house just feels too quiet. The clacking so, of my keyboard. Yeah, so I just, I need something else going. And so if if it's like, say like a, a TV show, it has to be something that I've seen enough to be familiar with it so that I, I it could just be background noise. So I don't usually gravitate to podcasts for that because the shows that I listen to just divert my attention away from the task at hand. And I also can't listen to new music either. Okay. Like a good example of study. this. Right. A good example of this is um last Friday I was working and I had already listened to the new Olivia Rodrigo album that came out. And so then I thought, well, okay, I've already listened to it once it's fine. I'll just like put it on in the background while I'm working. And then I realized that I was just not paying attention to what I was supposed to be doing because I was still trying to like get a sense for how I felt about that album in particular. So it's much easier for me to like listen to just something that's instrumental. So like strictly vibes, no, 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 like a verbal substance or um, something that I'm I'm already familiar with. So I don't feel compelled to like just focus on that. Baseball too is good as long as the game is not like super (laughs) exciting. So if there's a rerun on that's like even better because I already know like how the game ended i could just put did you see my background. note in here while i was planning this episode today i was watching baseball oh i'm so proud of you that's me every spring <laughs> i've gotten into watching baseball more i paid for nfl sunday ticket so me and pat wow. can watch the packers and eagles games yeah but like you pam i i do a lot of music and I need lighter stuff. Like I literally have a playlist folder in Spotify called Lighter Fair. And I've got playlists. These were all made by Spotify called Chill Rock. Okay. So like easy rock. Acoustic rock. Same type of thing. Stripped down. So basically acoustic versions of songs. Rock songs. You're definitely seeing a theme here. And then 70 soft rock. And also while preparing for today's episode, I started perusing Spotify's focus category and they have so many playlists to help people focus and one that caught my eye was pop study and these are just lighter pop songs think of like and i'm not a huge fan of him but john Mayer, like waiting on the world to change or your your body is a wonderland that's in here um just a lot of like like a castle on the hill by ed sheeran um lover by taylor swift maybe slower stuff just easier stuff because that that helps me get work done. Now, the problem is for me, because I'm editing shows a lot of the time these days, I can't listen to anything. So that's when I, I've, I've started to explore the idea of streaming videos or like stuff from Twitch on mute. So at least I have something I can glance at during the day that's not just my audio editing program. It's funny you mentioned the, the light, like a lighter um, sound because there is a radio station out here in the San Francisco Bay area that's been around for longer than I have. Um, And their tagline is light rock, less talk. And they're like 
the self-proclaimed number one workstation specifically because they just play stuff like you just mentioned, just like, you know, something that's a little bit softer. But I just think it's so funny that like that's their tagline and that's literally what you're looking for. Yeah. And just looking at some of the other focus playlists they have on Spotify, maybe these will be of interest to people. There's one called Deep Focus, Perfect Concentration, Positive Focus, Focus Jazz, Workday Lounge, and many, many more. So I'm sure Apple has these too if you're an Apple Music user. I've got a couple of things. So it honestly depends on the mood, but it also depends on what kind of focus I'm trying to get. So... Uh, If I really need to focus, but I want something on in the background, I have a couple of um, lo-fi, like chill vibe streams on YouTube that I'll pull up and kind of rotate through. Um, If it's kind of like a rote task that I'm doing, like if I'm doing something like cleaning or even if I'm doing something like organizing my files and my desktop, uh, there's this radio show uh, here in Atlanta. It's out of WABE called City Lights. It's been on the air forever, but there's something so comforting about it to me. It's mainly the host, uh, Lois Wright's his voice. Uh, she has this like very calming, like warbly old lady voice, <laughs> even though she's not an old lady, but for some reason, her voice just gives that. But there's something so warm and calming about it to me that if I'm doing something um, that requires a medium amount of focus, this is perfect for me because it's an interesting show, but it doesn't require intense attention. Mm. It's playing a lot of music and then it's like short form interviews with local artists in Atlanta. So it's a really good show, but it's also the perfect kind of show to be able to like zone in and out on as you're working. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes if I'm really trying to, be smart for the day. I'll put on like a TED Talk playlist. Yeah. Sometimes those get too interesting though and I have to yeah. stop them. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up YouTube because you just uh, reminded me that YouTube has a lot of ambiance playlists too mm-hmm. that I or just like channels. And my favorite one, and I, last time I listened to this, I like I almost got through all eight hours is called rainy night coffee shop ambience with relaxing jazz music and rain sounds, <laughs> which is a mouthful, but like you can get super specific. I know they even have like, I have a friend that really likes um, like um, there's one that's like geared towards different Hogwarts houses. So it's like Gryffindor common room ambience. Yeah. And it just gives oh, you like the sound that. of that with like some kind of like whimsy instrumental stuff in the background. And you just have like, I don't know, it's kind of nice, like, especially if you can't get like out to a, a place that kind of has ambient noise that you sort of tune out. It's a really easy fix to just go on YouTube. Most of these are ad free. And most of them are like eight to 10 hours long. So. Wow. And I wanted to turn the tables around a little bit. So I said at the top of this that podcasts uh, help listeners combat loneliness but the three of us were thinking about this the other day and hosting a podcast 
helps us combat loneliness as well. Right, Laura? You've been working from home for a few years now? Yeah, like three and a half years at this point. And I'm already kind of a homebody. I'm more introverted. And to be honest with you, working on these podcasts is the most consistent social outlet that I have. Not to say that I don't do other things on a regular basis, but this is baked in. It's like Tuesday nights, Saturday mornings, whatever other, you know, bonus content obligations we have throughout the month. That's on the books. We're all kind of like on the same wavelength about the obligations and how much time we're putting into the show. So I think it naturally turns into a social outlet for yeah. me too. And I, I feel that even when I interact with our listeners, like yeah. we've got so many people who've been with us for a long time that we kind of know their stories. Yeah. And it'll be like, I, I follow a few of our listeners on TikTok and I'll be like, oh man, like <laughs> this is what this is what they're up to right now. So it it's really cool. And it definitely it is work, but it's also social. I, I feel the same as you being work from home. Um I always tell people being work from home is a blessing and a curse. It's great having no commutes, all of that. But I have found myself over the years definitely yearning for more social interaction because I'm home alone most of the time. Sorry, Brooklyn, you don't count. And <laughs> I mean, he does, but you know what I mean? Like, you, you need more. You need more. <laughs> At least I do. And um, so when we do the podcast, when we do the show and MuggleCast, I always feel refreshed after we record because I got to spend an hour Same. or two with friends. And similarly, like you were saying, Laura, like with the Bay Hangouts, for example, that's a great example. We're just chilling with listeners for an hour on Zoom. And I always feel good after this. It's a, it's a good time. And so just know, listeners, that because you're listening, you're having a positive impact on us, too, because we get to do this and we get to socialize over the Internet. Y'all really are doing the most. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so, for hanging out with us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cyclical. But I don't think people realize that a lot of the time that that the hosts get a lot of experience, get a lot of uh, joy out of it as well. Yeah. I want to make sure to give some shout outs to some comments here in the discord during this conversation. Michelle said, not me listening as I'm working. (laughs) And Riley said, I loved the show, especially during the pandemic. I live alone. I talked to my BFF and some people, but the community we've made was wonderful during 2020. Michelle says, I need to drown out the silence. It's distracting. I feel that so much. Chloe, our social media manager, says Harry Potter is ideal background noise for me. Yeah, so when, um, that's a great example of you, Pam. You're talking about like familiar TV. You, people have watched yeah. Harry Potter so many times; they don't need to focus on it at all. Just glance over at it from yeah. time to time. And you that's could just—it's just, a nice little break to like you stopped on your favorite scene or something. I, I right. usually pick like because now most of the the shows that have already ended are on some streamer and for better or worse, I still have a lot of them, but I usually just like pick one thing to rewatch and then I'll just like have it on the background. If, if it needs to be like a TV show, Gilmore yeah. girls is really easy to do that with. Um, I was, uh, I've been recently doing that with Grey's Anatomy because okay. I've seen the first few seasons so many times. It's like, I just keep that on in the background. 
Yeah. You know, do my work and then just stop and be like, oh, yeah, that's the episode where this happened. <laughs> we do love having our listeners over on our Discord. That is one of the many benefits you get over at patreon.com slash millennial. You can listen live as we record, usually on Tuesday nights, starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And you'll also get ad-free access to Millennial. You get After Dark. Laura, can you tease what's coming up in After Dark today? Yeah. So inspired, actually, by last week's conversation about uh, police surveillance drones and really the overall effectiveness of the police, the fact that they are, you know, understaffed and overworked, it got me thinking about a situation that played out in my apartment complex like a year ago. And enough time has passed that I am happy to share in After Dark this week. It's uh, it's a doozy. So stay tuned for that. And then I think there may be one or maybe two more other neighbor stories. I got new neighbors recently and uh, they're they're already looking better than my last ones. They, I, I don't know if they're they know we're gay yet, so we'll. I'll, <laughs> you know, things might change, but we'll see. I'm surprised you haven't gone in there with the drone. And really found out. You <laughs> I know? was thinking about it. I'll talk. <laughs> I was thinking about it because I needed answers, stat to to the family situation there. Anyway, uh, thanks everybody who supports us at Patreon.com/slash/Millennial. We couldn't do it without you. You truly are the reason this show is a weekly podcast and we're able to run it as well as we think we do. And by the way, just a little tease, we're putting together a listener survey and we can't wait for listeners to start filling that out because we will ask questions about the Patreon as well. We want to know how we can improve the Patreon if you think there's any way that we can do so. But more details on that to come in the next couple of weeks. Time for some recommendations. I want to do a more abstract one, I guess. It's shoot your shot. That's my recommendation for you all. I have become increasingly concerned that a lot of podcasters are getting screwed by the people who edit for them. And I think this because of shows that I listen to and and stories I've heard about other shows and also from some of our listeners. You've you've given some great feedback about our show. And when you do, you also say other podcasts don't sound as good. So I, I got thinking about this more. And kind of a long story short, I went into the Millennial Facebook group and I said, hey, listeners, what podcasts do you think are probably really big, but don't have very good editing and they should because they're big shows they have advertisers maybe they have they have patreon supporters and i got a lot of great feedback from listeners thank you for that and i started creating a list a hit list if you will and i started reaching out to some of these podcasts i said hey i listened to your show and i did spend time listening to these shows so i i knew if i could actually help them or not and one of them so so i started reaching out to a bunch like i said and i've reached out to probably maybe just four or five for now. But the very first one I reached out to, I heard back from. And they were actually very interested in working with me. Now I'm working for them. I've done two episodes for them so far. They're called Girls Next Level. Holly and Bridget. From the Girls Next Door? From the Girls Next Door. Wow. Playboys. I'm working with Holly. We're emailing back and forth. I got a Venmo payment from her. Wow. (laughs) So they were the stars of E-Network's reality show, The Girls Next Door. And now they do a rewatch podcast called Girls Next Level. They're very happy with me, which, of course, made my day. 
And so getting back to my original recommendation here, shoot your shot. If I didn't try to reach out to them, it never would have happened. Sometimes you'll get rejected, but it's worth it. It's worth giving it a shot. I just want to remind everybody, shoot your shot because it can pay off. So I wanted to recommend the book Once More with Feeling by Elisa Sussman. I have recommended another book from her before, but I believe that there was a listener who actually told me I needed to read this one. I think it might have been Camille, but I'm not sure. So if it wasn't, um, I'm very sorry. Um, anyway, so this I would describe as like a, a second chance romance, but if you're like a fan of early 2000s pop, then I feel like the general premise is going to be something that you're interested in. Um, it stars this um, kind of like pop princess named Katie Rose, and she ends up cheating on her boyfriend, who's a, uh, the lead singer in a boy band with like another member of the boy band. So it's very like Justin Brittany, but not. And the they also have like some history there, too. So the setup is a little less cut and dry than maybe the Brittany and Justin stuff that we saw in the tabloids was. But they end up reconvening later after their pop careers are like done. And she's starring in a musical and he's directing it. And so they're trying to like squash their beef while also kind of coming back together. And yeah, it's a really fun, quick and easy read. And like I said, if you are a fan of like early 2000s pop nostalgia, I think that this is going to be something that you'll really enjoy. Um, I have a game recommendation. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I want to recommend Baldur's Gate 3. So this is, you know, it's basically D&D, except an online game you can play with your friends. So if you're like me and you have friends that you've been struggling to maintain a campaign with because we live far away, this is the perfect solution. You get to custom design your character just like you would when you're building a character sheet, playing D&D, um, all of the the rules uh, are, you know, basically the same. And the game has a built in dungeon master. So you have your own built in DM. So no member of your party has to play that role. You can all just be immersed in your characters. It's really immersive, super fun, and 10 out of 10. Highly recommend. It was a very fun way to spend a Saturday night last weekend. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can write to millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com if you want to reach out to us. You can also reach out to us by contacting us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Threads. And over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. After Dark starts in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.